Have you ever had that feeling when you leave the doctor's office and think, what did they just say? Or have any burning questions you didn't have time to ask? Or, I don't remember anything that just happened in that appointment. Or even, were they speaking my language? Yeah, us too. That's where we come in. We're the podcast dedicated to helping you understand what your doctor said about that thing you saw your doctor for in the first place. We understand it can be an information overload. We're here to help. I'm Dr. Josh Fletcher, a family medicine resident at Northrop General Hospital in Toronto. And I'm Jake Bloom, the person who doesn't know what's happening at the doctor's office. Welcome to Dr. Dictionary. I just want to make a quick disclaimer that this podcast isn't meant to be a replacement for a traditional doctor's appointment, nor is it meant to be providing medical advice. Rather, it's meant to be a supplement to your doctor's visit and explain why your doctor asked what they ask and help you explain the diagnosis and common treatment plans. Lastly, doctors often have very different styles and approaches to a patient and their diagnosis. If we discuss a question or treatment plan that your doctor didn't mention, that doesn't mean that they were wrong. This could represent a different in practice style or simply the fact that your doctor knows you better than we do and has created a treatment plan that better fits your lifestyle. All right, welcome to another edition of Dr. Dictionary, the podcast explainer for all your questions before, during, or after your visit to the doctor. I'm Jake Bloom, and joining me to talk all things contraception is Dr. Josh Fletcher. What's up, Doc? Not too much. I'm looking forward to the series we've prepared for you guys on contraception and debunking any myths that might come up. That's good. Yeah. Um, so Josh, you decided to make this uh, contraception a very special episode, actually a four-parter. I don't think we've done a four-parter before. Is there a reason why? Just a lot to dis- a lot to talk about? Exactly. It's a huge topic, tons to discuss. We want to talk about the basics in one episode. We're going to spend an entire episode diving into the hormonal options for contraception, an episode talking about the non-hormonal options, and then finally an episode on emergency contraception as well. All right, well, Josh, let's start with the basics. What is contraception for those who don't know? So contraception, also known as birth control, are methods to prevent pregnancy. And like I was just talking about, there are many different kinds of contraception, but the main underlying goal is to help prevent pregnancy. Now, with contraception, with any treatment plan in general, but especially with contraception, it's a shared decision-making process between you and your doctor. There's so many different options, and we want to decide which one's best for you. Is now a good time for you, etc. And this is done together with you and your doctor. So can you talk about some of the different kinds of contraception? So some options have hormones in them that alter the actual reproductive cycle or alter the cycle that leads to you having a baby. Some of these options include a pill, a patch, a ring, an injection, an implant under the skin, or an IUD, also known as an intrauterine device, or something that we actually put into the uterus or through the vagina. There are some non-hormonal options as well. Most common ones you've probably heard of are condoms, maybe sponges, diaphragms. There's something called fertility awareness or the withdrawal method. And then of course there's abstinence. We also have surgical methods tubal ligation or getting your tubes tied, and the equivalent in a man, which is called a vasectomy. 
Now, each method has its pros and cons, and your doctor will help you choose which method is right for you. Now, are there some methods that are, say, better than others at preventing pregnancy? So, yes, some methods are definitely better than others in preventing unwanted pregnancy. We like to think about this in two ways. There's the perfect ideal situation when you're using contraception, and then there's the more realistic, typical situation. And when you look at data on contraception, this is how it's sort of classified. Perfect use, if you're using it properly, you're never missing a dose of medication, for example, or you're always using a condom. And then there's a typical use, which is what's typically expected for people. So the most effective methods of contraception are the ones you really don't have to think about ever. And because of that, the perfect use of it versus the typical use isn't really much different. So for example, the implantable uterine devices or IUDs that we were just talking about, you never really have to think about these. The implantable devices under the skin, injectable medications, and of course, a surgical methods like getting your tubes tied or a vasectomy, which again is the male equivalent. Now, there are other very effective methods as well. For example, the birth control pill, or as we often call it, the pill. And it can be very effective if taken regularly. But again, that's if it's taken regularly. Right, right. Now, there are other methods like the barrier methods like condoms, diaphragms, sponges, spermicides. And these methods are usually not as effective. Now, some of it's intrinsic to the actual method, but a lot of it's because of typical use. How often are you actually using a condom? Are you using it in every sexual encounter or only sometimes? So again, it's that difference between the typical use and the perfect use. Josh, how do these methods work to prevent pregnancy? So it depends on the method in question. Right. And before we kind of answer that, why don't we take a step back and talk about how you actually get pregnant? Sure. So in order to get pregnant, sperm from the male has to come in contact with an egg from the female. And when this happens, that leaves the fertilization of the egg and the process of pregnancy can begin. Now, there are different methods to prevent this from happening. One's a barrier method like condoms we were talking about. Now, it's a barrier or an impediment to the sperm from entering the uterus and fertilizing the egg. You can also have toxins to the sperm that basically kill it before it can reach the egg. Then there's fertility awareness. So knowing, for example, that the eggs are only released at certain times of the cycle and that this occurs mid-cycle. So some people will mark this time with a calendar and make sure that if they're not trying to have a baby to avoid this time for intercourse. And we're going to discuss this a lot more in the third of four episodes in our contraception series when we talk about non-hormonal options. There are other methods like copper, which is a type of IUD that's toxic to sperm and leads to a local inflammation in the cervix, which is the cap connecting the vagina and the uterus, which is where the baby's made, and that prevents fertilization. And when I say inflammation, it means it's more of a hostile environment there. And then beyond that, you have the action of hormones. And when we start talking about the hormones, this can become a little bit more complicated. Before we talk about those hormonal options, can we take a step back even further? What is actually happening with hormones and how do they work uh, with your body? So you're right. So let's take a step back. So let's start right after you have your period. 
and the period of bleeding has just ended. So what happens now? So first of all, what organs are actually involved? We have the ovaries, which hold the eggs. And these eggs will transform into a fetus when they're combined with sperm. Then we have the uterus. This is where the baby is actually formed and the baby grows. Attaching the ovaries or where the eggs are to the uterus is something called the fallopian tubes. And this is actually where the sperm will meet the egg. And lastly, the cap to the uterus, which connects it to the vagina, is called the cervix. So the cycle is controlled by different hormones in the body. The main ones to know are estrogen and progesterone. Estrogen is what's responsible for the lining of the uterus to grow. And we look at this lining, this is actually what's falling off to cause the bleeding. And it's what helps normally support the fetus that's developing in the uterus. As the estrogen increases, we actually get a different surge of hormones. And that surge causes the egg to be released. And this process, you've maybe heard of it, is called ovulation. And this is what happens in the middle of the cycle. Now, if you can imagine an actual egg like you'd buy at the supermarket. We have the shell, and then inside the egg, we have the white and the yolk. So picture this in the body. So in the ovaries, you actually have the egg. And around this period of ovulation, we crack the egg, and the yolk is released in the fallopian tubes. So the sperm will mix with the yolk, and then we get the fetus. But we leave that shell behind. Now, that shell that's left behind releases a different hormone, and that's called progesterone. Now, this hormone helps us prepare for pregnancy. Think of it as protecting that lining that the estrogen helped build so that the baby can form in the uterus. It thickens the mucus. It makes the lining better support the baby. We can see an increase in body temperature here as well. Now, if there's sperm present at the time, we get fertilization and then we eventually get a baby. And fertilization is the process of the sperm meaning the egg, which leads to a fetus or a baby. So what happens if you don't get that fertilization? Great question. So eventually that shell will disappear and crumble away. Now, at this point, the shell is no longer producing progesterone. So when this is no longer produced, when the progesterone is no longer produced, the lining is no longer protected because there's no baby there. There's no reason to protect the lining. Now, this leads to the period. This leads to the bleeding. That lining, since it's no longer protected, will fall off. And then we get bleeding and the entire cycle repeats. So why are we talking about this? Well, it's important to understand this when we're talking about the different hormones and how they actually work in the body. So estrogen is initially responsible, again, for forming and thickening that lining in the uterus that supports the potential baby and actually causes other hormones to be released that lead to that egg being released from the shell. The progesterone acts to help protect this lining for the baby, and it causes other changes like a thickening of the mucus, an increase in your body temperature, changes in secretions, and when the progesterone decreases because that shell is gone, we get the typical bleeding. Well, it sounds like a pretty simple process. (laughs) No, it's definitely very complicated. So how are these hormonal contraceptives working then? So either by a pill, a patch, a ring an implantable device, or an IUD, we're giving you these hormones. We're giving you estrogen and progesterone to help control this cycle and regulate it. I see. 
So we give you different amounts of estrogen and progesterone, and this stimulates a typical cycle. Doing so, we override the regular hormones in the body and can control it through our own devices or through the hormones we give you. We get a lining of the uterus that initially isn't favorable to a baby being formed. We get thicker mucus that slows slash stops sperm. We prevent those surges in hormones that happen during periods usually. It's also very important to note that these hormones that we're giving you, they have other actions in the body as well. And we call these the non-contraceptive benefits or the non-baby preventing benefits. They can help with the cramping that's associated with periods. They can help with if your periods are very heavy, if you have fibroids and they're very painful, if you have bad acne or even male pattern hair growth, and they can help make your cycles regular as well. Because a lot of these things we just talked about, the cramping, the heavy periods, the acne, can be related to either too high or too low hormone levels. So by regulating these through one of these means, the pill, the patch, the ring, etc., we can control these other factors as well. I'm guessing a question you probably get a lot is, if I'm taking one of these methods of contraception, does that mean I'm safe to have sex and don't have to worry about anything? That's a great question. And it's such a common misconception that because you might be taking the pill or because you have an IUD, you're safe to have sex and don't have to worry about anything. These methods, with exception of barrier methods, do not prevent sexually transmitted infections, also known as STIs and previously called STDs. They will prevent you from getting pregnant, but they have nothing to do with protecting you from infections like gonorrhea, chlamydia, HIV, or syphilis. To do this, you need some sort of barrier method like condoms. And finally, what resources do you recommend to learn more about contraception? So sexandyou.ca is an amazing resource, and it's really a one-stop shop for everything you need to know about contraception, safe sex practices, consent, etc. And we'll link it in the show notes. Great. So that wraps up our first part of our four-part contraception series. Josh, tell the people what they could be uh, looking forward to hearing in the next episode. So in the next episode, we're going to talk a lot about the hormonal options of contraception that we just briefly explained how they work. Afterwards, in the third episode, we're going to talk about the non-hormonal options that are available. And the fourth and final episode, we're going to talk about emergency contraception. Great. And if you're liking what you're hearing, you can always leave a comment on our uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Google Podcast page. And uh, if you have any questions, you can always email them to thedoctordictionary at gmail.com. I'd like to thank Dr. David Eisen, Chief of Family Medicine at Northrop General Hospital, for peer reviewing this episode. I'd also like to thank Nick and John Bragagnolo for recording the original music. Great, and we'll see you next time.